Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And joining me today is my very special guest, uh, Dia Michaels. Welcome, Dia. Thank you so much to be here. Um, I would certainly like to have everyone know that Dia is an award-winning science and parenting writer, and uh, I'd like to just mention her newly released book, and we're going to talk about the role of children's books in supporting breastfeeding families. And what I'm hoping today is that all of you can learn about breastfeeding in nature and to find out what we learn about infant feeding from our fellow mammals. Dia and I are going to be talking about some of the differences between human breastfeeding and the lactation habits of other mammals, and we'll be talking about specifically some books. I just want to say that, Dia, my very first exposure to you or your name or your work was a book called uh, If My Mom Were a Platypus. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Sure. Um, my introduction to the breastfeeding world predates that book and came when I um, ended up being hired as co-author of Milk, Money, and Madness, the oh, yes. politics of breastfeeding. Yes, which you did um, with Naomi Baumschlag, right? Right. Yes. God, years yep. and years ago. Years and um, years. Yeah, my daughter's 24 now, and I was pregnant with her when we were working on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Actually, out of the sheer and total misery of my pregnancies, um, <laughs> we don't even want to go there. We don't want to go well, there, yeah. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the mammal obsession came from. Wow. So, to make a long story short, I was so sick and so miserable, and pregnancy affected every system in my body to the point where I lost 25 pounds oh. pregnant before anything turned around. I had panic attacks and nightmares. I, my, my entire body didn't do pregnancy. Um, but all the doctors cared about was that the baby was fun. So sure. I was byproduct. Um, and I, I dealt with this by deciding that I had to become mentally a different mammal in order to survive pregnancy. And wow. so my journey became... What mammal am I going to turn myself into when I'm pregnant? Um, and you'll never guess what the answer is. I bet a platypus. Absolutely. <laughs> if you were just going to maximize pregnancy and birth and lactation, you would so be a platypus. Um, but, of course, I had to learn all about the mammal world in order to figure out who the winner was. Um, and that's the research that led to If My Mom Were a Platypus, which many people, of course, think that it's about platypuses. But it's really about the life cycle journey of 14 different mammals. And the 14th mammal is the Homo sapiens. So, so we do 13 wild animals and then we do the human, um, a highly domesticated one. 
I have to admit that when I saw a title like that, it absolutely got my attention. All I had to do was look at it and say, a platypus? How, how could we have a book about a platypus? And I'm sure that every time I see your name, as many things as you have done, as many things as you have written, as much as you have accomplished in this world, uh, every time I see your name, I just think about if my mom were a platypus. That's right. <laughs> well, in, my, uh, in my fantasies during those pregnancies, um, I, I turned into a platypus, and for outings, we'd all go to the shopping mall, and the kids would drop me off in the fountain, and they would shop, and then they'd pick me up. And we'd all go home. Um, and of course, nobody wants a child's book where mothers turn into other creatures. <laughs> but it was, it was a good survival mechanism because humans, as you know, are not maximized for birth. The baby's head right. is big. Right. Weird. You know, there's all sorts of issues with human birth. So um, it's just what we have to do to get these amazing little creatures. Uh, I just think that's a wonderful story, and I guess that probably leads me to uh, the fact that you clearly determined which mammal you wanted to be. So maybe the real question here is, why are you so fascinated with mammals? Or maybe we should back up a step. No, let's back up a step. Um, let's talk about what mammals are, and I'll take the lead on that for a moment, which is, I always, in my courses with uh, professionals, I always start by saying that when Carolus Linnaeus named our uh, genus, he called us mammals because he thought that the breast was that important. And so, of course, mammals are named for their breasts. So tell us a little bit about mammals and why are you so fascinated with mammals? Okay. Um, I'm going to actually start with a quote that I just love. This is a book I may have read. It's called A General Theory of Love. And um, the quote is, The most common reaction a reptile has to its young is indifference. It lays its eggs and walks or slithers away. Mammals form close-knit, mutually nurturant social groups, families, in which members spend time touching and caring for one another. Parents nourish and safeguard their young and each other from the hostile world outside their group. A mammal will risk and sometimes lose its life to protect a child or mate from attack. A garter snake salamander watches the death of its kin with an unblinking eye. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That is totally awesome. Yeah, and what I think it says to me is, sure, there's a huge animal kingdom out there but the animal kingdom that we are so connected to are the yes. ones that, that form nutrient social groups you know dia having been a labor and delivery nurse myself and having seen hundreds if not thousands of babies born one of the things that as you were using that quote i was thinking how very often the mother will reach out uh, almost instinctively for the baby and one of the things that always worries me is when the mother does not seem to make that initial move, if you will, towards the baby in some way, shape, or form. And as I was hearing about the reptiles, I was thinking, yeah, when there's a bonding issue, you, I guess they act more like reptiles than mammals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but the other thing, Marie, is that 
humans are meant to be in religion, and women are meant to surrounded by sisters and mothers and wives and neighbors. So, so look at, for instance, the hippo, um, you know, sort of get into to one of the mammals. The hippo went underwater, and the baby is a mammal. It has to breathe air. So the baby has to come up for air and then go down and suck, and then come up for air and then go down and suckle. Um, well, who helps the baby figure this out? The other females in the community. So women aren't supposed to be doing this alone. And if a woman's not reaching out for the baby, a sister or a mother or a midwife or doula or handing the baby to her. So I think it's important to realize that moms need help. Yes. Moms always need help. So, and that that's one of my issues with mammals is that... Um, scientists classify mammals by characteristics. Yes, so they do. Rodents come from the, the word dont, rodent, yes. which is from dental. Dont means teeth. Teeth. So uh -huh. all rodents have teeth that don't ever stop growing. That's why they chew and chew and chew. Right? Beavers don't eat trees for fun. Beavers chew down trees because if they don't keep their teeth filed teeth back, filed back. Uh -huh. yeah, their mouth gets locked open and they starve to death. Um, and so common characteristics are the normal way of grouping mammals. But to me, the lens that's the most profound is social versus non-social. Because we can study koalas and we can study polar bears and we can study sloths, but we're not going to learn anything like we could if we studied elephants and and geese who are social. So I just think it's really important to, so it, um, you know, to keep in mind that it's the social mammal we learn, not, not necessarily all mammals. So it would be your premise then that as we look at uh, as you said, rodents or carnivores or nest animals or cache animals or whatever we're looking at, that in your mind, it's really not their physical characteristics that separate us from them so much as their social interactions. Yes. So just take a random vertical, horizontal leap, some direction. Um, tell me what is the worst punishment that humans met out to other humans? Well, certainly punishment. in jails, it's solitary confinement. Right. The worst thing we can do to another human, and it's even considered in, by many as, as worse than, than killing them, is solitary confinement. Right. A human, wow. you know, and if you look at the cases, those horrible, horrible cases where a child is, you know, raised in the basement, you know, chained to something, um, that doesn't have social interaction does not develop properly. Yes. Um, so so that's, that's, I think, one of the big takeaways is understanding that we're social animals and that we thrive and function, I should reverse that, we function and indeed can thrive when we're connected to a community. You know, we come into this world connected physically. Yes, yes. Um, and we do best when we are connected. And I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm just thinking off the top of my head of the work of uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Kirsten Yuvnis Moberg 
And mm-hmm. one of the things that she talks about is the three phases of social interaction. She doesn't necessarily talk about it in terms of mammals, as, as I can remember. That article is quite old by now. But I've always found that very interesting, that she talks about first the approach phase, and then the interaction phase, and then the satiety phase. And as I'm hearing you talking, I'm thinking, yes, this is exactly making sense. And honestly, I always try to tell people that all of us do those social interactions all of the time. You and I did that in the sense of, Dia, do you want to come on the show? Yes, I want to come on the show. Oh, okay. And so then we will be on the show, and then afterwards there will be a sort of uh, a formal parting or some such thing where I feel more nourished and hopefully the the listeners do by that in fact social interaction wow what a wonderful concept I hope that everyone is fully engaged as we're here today talking with award-winning author Dia Michaels I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed Dia and I will both be right back don't go away we'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that, too, through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. 
Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with award-winning science and parenting writer, Dia Michaels. And Dia has been talking with us about breastfeeding in the animal kingdom. Uh, we're going to move later in the segment uh, to children's books. But I want to kind of pick up on where we were when we left off just before the break, talking about mammals and move to Dia can you talk to us a little bit about what characteristics do mammals have in common and then how are they different or maybe more to the point how are humans different can you talk with us a little bit about that sure why don't we just be basics and ask what is that mammals um, and have to have all four so the piece of being a mammal, but you'll note that other animals have backbones too. Yes. Birds have backbones. They're not mammals, right? So having a backbone is a piece. Another piece is having hair or fur. Now this one I find almost completely bogus because <laughs> one's the last time you pet a dolphin. Oh, There's right. Not a lot of hair or fur there. And right. when's the last time you looked at a tarantula? Oh, right. Well, they're not mammals, but they have a lot more hair than a dolphin yes. does. So that could so, be misleading. Right. And so they actually get around it by saying that um, whiskers count as hair and fur. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. a bit of a stretch, don't you think? Exactly. <laughs> like, see the naked bull rat? Like, so, so you got to have a backbone, you got to have hair or fur. You have to be warm-blooded. But, of course, there are plenty of animals that are warm-blooded that aren't mammals. You know, again, the birds. Yes. Sure. Right? There's a reason they fly south in the winter. <laughs> so, yes. so the fourth thing is the females feed milk to their young. And so, to me, it's, we start right there. That is, it's, you, right, you forget the backbone. You can forget the hair for you forget you simply funnel as the species in which you have it. Um, yes. That's, I think, why people who work in lactation feel that it's so important. It is the very, very single thing that makes us special. And when you ask groups, you know, what is a mammal? Some might talk about a four-chambered heart. Some might talk about a special ear bone. Some insist that they give birth to live young. But again, turtles, some turtles and some, not turtles, some sharks and some snakes give birth to live young. And some mammals, for instance, the platypus, doesn't give birth to live young. So really, even though scientists that those four things together is the definition of a mammal, I'm 
the bird. I'm thinking, for instance, of something like the duck-billed platypus. Um, that always feels like a little bit of a stretch to me. And as I hear you talking, it really seems as though you're emphasizing that while some of these characteristics may be a little bit difficult to recognize, the one thing that we all seem to recognize rather readily and rather clearly is that the mothers all feed milk to their, well, the mothers all hopefully feed milk to their young. Interestingly, it's the humans who sometimes just decide they're not going to feed milk to their young. But as I often tell people, and sometimes this will happen, a mother will say to me, no, I don't want to breastfeed because I don't want my my breast to fill up with milk. And (laughs) you you know what I'm I'm thinking with that, you know. I kind of want to say to her, honey, it's a little bit late to be thinking about that because your breasts are going to fill up with milk. You may or may not choose to breastfeed, but your breasts will fill up with milk, guaranteed. Lactation is, well, producing breast milk is not a choice. Right. If you get pregnant, you will produce milk. You will, yes. Exactly. Okay, so at the characters, let's look at the characters all family young are born helpless right you've seen those documentaries where the turtles come up to the beach and they lay their egg in the sand and then the mothers go off and yes. then the babies hatch or whatever the word is in turtle land yes. um you know take a look walk to the sea and live their life right yes, yes. mammals can't do that and who can a man do the mass can grasp and the mammals because they often have to hold on to their mothers while they're going about their lives. Um, and mammals <laughs> can suck. And that's it. That's, that's all it. they can do. And that's what we for survival. Dia, I want to just back up for just a moment. We, I'm sure that we have many nurses listening. And I just want to emphasize that a grasp reflex is one of the things which I, as a nurse, doing a newborn assessment, that's one of the things that I would look at, that a newborn baby uh should be able to have a fairly good grasp. Now, certainly, the baby who is born prematurely has a very weak grasp, but the baby who is full term has a grasp, and that grasp, by the way, becomes even greater at one month. And so what you're saying is that this is important from the standpoint, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're saying this is critical for survival. Absolutely. Now, all mammal females are designed to feed breast milk to the young. Yes. Um, all young don't breastfeed, but uh-huh. that's only because some females don't have breasts. <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so you, get, you can get into the exceptions. Platypus actually breastfeed without having breasts or nipples. Um, and uh, whales breastfeed differently because they don't have lips. Right. But in general, all baby mammals are supposed to be raised on breast milk. Um, and they should do this humans. So if the mother can't do this, um, Dia, I'm having trouble hearing you, so I apologize if I've interrupted you or if I'm not uh, necessarily uh, following uh, 
well here, but I'm I'm thinking that you addressed the part about the grasp, and then the other thing that you mentioned was the ability to suck. And so one of the things that I frequently emphasize is the whole idea uh, is that the species is designed to survive. And I think what you're saying here is that that sucking and the the grasping is part of that survival. Is that true? Yeah. So the females produce milk in their glandular system just the way we produce sweat through the sweat glands. Um, and and in the human, the mammary gland is a modified sweat gland. So, so I would totally concur with that. Right. Uh, uh, and every single mammal, female mammal, produces milk. And every single milk has essentially the same ingredients. It has water, protein, fats, carbs, minerals, vitamins, anti-infective agents, hormones, growth factors. But the ratios and the specific so you cannot take a mouse it won't survive. You can't take a human horse it will survive. So well, all mammals produce milk, the species specificity of each milk is different. And wow. so humans are meant to have human milk, just the way baby soybeans are meant to have soy milk. Sorry, that's my such, little joke. Such a concept, <laughs> human milk for human babies. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with award-winning author Dia Michaels. We'll be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. 
Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And tonight, we are here with award-winning author, Dia Michaels, who's talking with us about the animal kingdom, mammals, and, of course, their milk. We were just talking about the milk before uh, before we went to the break. I'd just like everyone to know, before we go on, that I was especially fascinated many years ago with one of Dia's earlier books, If My Mom Were a Platypus, and I would like to make sure that you know that you can get that book, certainly from places like Amazon.com, but also from one of Dia's websites. Uh, The first one is platypusmedia.com, and that's P-L-A-T-Y-P-U-S-M-E-D-I-A.com, or You may also find this book as well as many others. And by the way, she's got other stuff too, not just books. There are coloring books and posters and CDs and all sorts of stuff. Um, The other website is sciencenaturally.com. And also, if you have extra questions for us, we probably won't be able to take questions live today. But I would like to invite all of you to make sure that you know how to reach Uh, well, sort of me, and I will pass them on to Dia so that we can address them later in a different show if you'd like. You can reach me at radio at borntobebreastfed.com. I'll repeat that. It's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. You're certainly welcome to ask a question about this show or any other show. If it is from today's show, I will forward those questions to Dia and handle them on a later show. So anyway, uh, thanks for coming back uh, after the break. We are here still with Dia. And uh, Dia, can you talk with us a little bit about how you, you mentioned that it's the ingredients that are the same. It's the proportions, which, of course, are very different, especially when I'm teaching my comprehensive course, but also in my review course, too. I always hammer to people how it's so important to understand that human milk is the lowest 
in protein compared to all other mammalian species, compared to cows, horses, reindeers, uh, anything else, uh, that humans are the lowest in protein. And of course, whales are the highest in fat. And there's all these different proportions, which therefore, as I often say, this is one of the reasons why I try to call it human milk, because the concept, for me at least, is about human milk for human babies. So, in talking about human milk for human babies, my question would be, we have a lot of mothers who say, ah, oh, you know, I don't really want to breastfeed because it ties you down. Can you talk with us a little bit about, uh, have you ever had any other mammal tell you that they don't want to be tied down? <laughs> and they, they probably don't tell you that in words, but talk to us a little bit about their behaviors. One of the things that is very very striking when you study mammals Mm -hmm. is that lactation and childhood are synonymous. Mm. That except for humans, the day you wean is the day you walk away. Literally walk. Literally walk away. Okay. Except for the social females who stay in the village, but they still wean. So, So the point is, if you're a shrew or if you're an orangutan, or if you're a polar bear, everything that you must learn to survive, remember, because you started off helpless. Right. Everything you must learn, you must learn while you're breastfeeding. Wow. And so I think that one of the reasons that humans are able to minimize breastfeeding so much and to reduce lactation to simply one method of feeding a child is because... Let's say you've got a human in, in a Western country who's nursing four months, six months, eight months, and a child that's going to be a child for, what, 24 years, right. <laughs> 18 years, right. you know, pick the number, right. but it's a drop in the bucket. And that allows us to completely minimize the role that that period plays in our lives. So that's, again, another one of the benefits of studying mammals is whether it's um, say, at least true or one of the animals that, that nurses for a very short time or some of the great apes, which nurse for years and years and years, that period is the period where every single thing happens. And so, of course, the mother is there and, of course, the food is happening around the clock and the learning is happening around the clock. Um, and learning is very different depending on, of course, the food you eat. Yes. So if you're a lion, what you need to learn is hunting. And the yes. kids tussle and, and wrestle and play and run around. If you're a giraffe, <laughs> you ready for this? A giraffe's childhood yeah. involves standing still. Really? Literally, their job is to stand still. And the reason is because you've got this very, very large animal living on acacia leaves. Mm-hmm. Acacia leaves uh-huh. have a low nutrient density. Okay. And the young are prey, but the adults are not prey. The adults have no predators. Oh, uh-huh. But babies taste good. So the single most important thing for that giraffe is to grow, which means they will not waste a calorie moving. Right, right. So the females surround the young. The females can kick any attacking you know, predator out the wazoo, and okay. the babies just stand there and grow. So your childhood is going to be very different depending on the skills you need for survival. Humans need a lot of skills for survival. 
Um, I can't help but think about uh, a program that we did, uh, I think it was maybe in March, with Michelle Atkin from the UK. Mm-hmm. And she talked about baby-led weaning. And one of the things that I noticed was that she never, ever talked about the benefits of breastfeeding the way that I have heard Americans talk about the benefits of breastfeeding. She never talked about fewer allergies, lower uh, ear infections, less obesity, blah, blah, blah. She never mentioned that at all. She talked about things like learning manners learning to wait, learning to be in sync with another human being, and all of those things that she was talking about of of how to learn uh, being respectful of another. That was another thing she mentioned. And so as I hear you talking, I'm thinking, right, that is where the baby learns. And it was her premise that this is the learning grounds, if you will, for the baby uh, that while the mother is lactating, the baby is suckling, uh, these are for her the, quote, benefits of breastfeeding. And not to negate or, meta, uh, or minimize those other uh, sort of more medical ease kinds of things, but I just thought it was very fascinating that she never mentioned those. She really yeah. talked about, the, as you said, the learning. Very interesting. Now, let's go back to the biology, though. Okay. We know that, that humans have the lowest percent of protein yes. of all milks. Protein is what funnels, what, what funnels growth. Um, and so since the human is growing slowly, we have very little protein. And we know that human milk has very, very little fat. And in fact, it's among the lowest of all milks. Um, and fat gives you energy and, and especially important in sea mammals who need the blubber to, to shield them from getting hypothermic in the water. Could, but, could I interrupt you for just a moment? The, sure. uh, in, the, in humans, the, the fat is at about 40 milligrams, whereas it's more like 171 for the reindeer, just to, to give people some feeling for how right. hugely the different this live is. in a cold climate and, again, need the blubber exactly. for survival. Exactly. Um, gray seal fat, breast milk fat, for instance, is 59.8%. Gray seal milk is 59.8% fat. Wow. So animals that need to fatten quickly have high fat. Animals that need to grow fast, like um, a mouse or a cat, they have high protein. Humans have neither. Right. So that's one part of the milk that's interesting. But another part is that it's almost instantly assimilated by the digestive tract. So anybody who's had a baby raised on artificial milk or infant formula knows that you cannot feed on demand. Right. That it takes time for the milk to go through the digestive tract. And if you give them too much too soon, you overload the system. Absolutely. You can't do that with breast milk. It is so quickly assimilated that it moves through, and whenever the baby wants to feed, that's acceptable. Now, one of the, um, obviously, you know, you know about the La Leche League. Uh-huh, um, of course, and sure. one of the founders of the leagues, you know, had a quote that has lasted and lasted in the lactation world, which is, a baby's wants is a baby's needs. Uh. Um, I got so tired when I was breastfeeding of people saying, you know, if you let that baby nurse on demand, you know, oh, yeah. be so spoiled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. We yeah, hear that a lot. He's going to be spoiled. He's going to control you. He's going to do this. But... A baby's wants and a baby's needs are the same thing. A baby's not 
asking you to feed unless they want food. They may want to suck, in which case a pacifier can be used, and then they'll be happy. But if the baby wants to feed, it's probably because the baby's hungry. And the baby could be hungry because the milk is digested so quickly, and you don't know what's going on in the metabolic system of the baby. So if you look at that all the learning goes on when the mother is nursing, during the nursing period, and that the milk is assimilated right away, it only makes sense for the baby to be able to feed when hungry and for the mother to be available to the child. So, Dia, here's one that somebody presented to me a while ago. I was teaching a course. The woman was a nurse, and apparently it was a colleague or somebody who had said to her, absolutely not. Breastfeeding is animalistic. I am not going to be putting up with anything that's animalistic. And and the woman said to me, how would you have had a response for that? And I found myself, as you know, I don't usually find myself speechless too often, but (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, I don't know. I guess I would probably tell her that we are animals. We are mammals. I would probably approach it from that standpoint. But I really felt like that was uh, kind of a, a, I wish I would have had a better answer. How would you have had it? What, What comeback would you have had? It's funny, we have, um, If My Mom Were a Platypus, the book has been translated into a number of languages. Yes. Um, and one of the translations was done by a Hebrew uh, publisher, and Hebrew by an Israeli publisher. And one of the things that they felt very strongly about was that while we are animals, we are not just animals. Yes. And what, in fact, separates from us from the animals is morality and the ability to change, to choose right from wrong. And so when they did their translation of the book, they actually changed the human chapter to say, we're not just animals, we can choose right from wrong, and we can make choices um, about morality. And we debated whether or not to put that change in the next edition of the the book in English, Mm -hmm. and decided not to, because Mm. our point in the book is that if we're going to learn from the animals, you know, from the mammals, we want to see what there is to learn. And I think what, what I would say to that person is not so much you're an animal, deal with it, but your baby is born helpless mm. and your life is a journey. And oh, your life and is a journey. Of, I love that. Your life that. is a journey. And the first yes. part of the journey is to stop being helpless. Right, And yes. so every single mammal has to go from complete helplessness to independence. And there's steps along the way, and obviously growth, physical growth is part of that, mental growth is part of that, and emotional growth is part of that, intellectual growth is part of that. But that's when we can go back and say, what needs to happen for that journey to go smoothly? And I am guessing that you would say, if you didn't already say earlier in the program, because I did have a little trouble hearing, but I'm guessing that you would say that humans have the longest journey to make. The longest journey by two or three times, depending on when you decide the human is mature. Yes. Because some of us wouldn't put it at 18. (laughs) 
<laughs> most definitely. Oh, you know, yes. Exactly. If you've ever been a mother, you know that when that back door opens, you're the mother, no matter how old the kid is. You know, exactly. for sure. So, so uh, this has been a, a fascinating segment. Uh, I am here today with Dia Michaels. I'm Marie Biancuzzo, your host for Born to Be Breastfed. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everyone. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuzzo, and I'm here today with noted and award-winning author, Dia Michaels, who has been helping us to understand a little bit about mammals in the context of mammals, not just ourselves. Dia, before we went to break, we were talking about the fact that the human has the longest journey between uh uh, birth and being fully mature. Uh, I think maybe the follow on question to that is talk to us a little bit about the shortest journeys or other journeys of other mammals. Okay. Well, many people have had kittens or puppies and know that, that their childhood lasts about eight weeks. Um, yet still though, if you look at, especially a kitten, a kitten is born, hairless and blind and yes. has to go from that to being able to hunt and be self-sufficient in eight weeks. But the one that, that is really the, the award-winning uh, record-setting one for childhood is the hooded seal. So mm. the hooded seal lives in the ocean okay. and for some crazy reason will only get pregnant, give birth, and breastfeed on land but they live where there is no land. Hmm. How's that for a design? How's that for a design? Yeah, a little strange. So so they live where there is no land, which means the only place they can do those activities is on ice flows. Hmm. So they have to jump on the ice to copulate, jump up on the ice to give birth and to breastfeed. Well, when you've got the baby, the mother and the baby stay together, and they're living on the ice flow. But they're born in the springtime, as many babies are. What's happening to those ice flows in spring? Um, they're, they're breaking up? Exactly. They're uh-huh. breaking up. They're splitting in half. They're cracking. So if the hooded seal had a long childhood, the mother and baby may get separated before the baby's independent, Ooh. and the species wouldn't make it. So the, the adaptation is that the baby goes from being completely helpless to fully independent in four days. Oh, my. And in those four days, the mother takes a break enough to get pregnant again. (laughs) (laughs) It's a point. (laughs) You think you're in a hurry. Yeah, really. (laughs) So, and what that tells you, though, is that most of what that baby needs to survive is innate, right? They're not, it's not as innate as the baby turtle that comes from the shell and just walks to the sea, but the baby doesn't need to learn that much from its mother. Now, compare that to the human. The human has to learn everything, and the more complicated society gets, has to learn more than that. Absolutely. You know, and you would throw in language and culture and religion and skills and reading and writing and um, and so... Listening to a radio show on the Internet. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah, all those things. The the nature versus nurture debate, which I'm sure you could do another whole show on. Absolutely, Um, yes. (laughs) But but that's the point, is that part of having the longest childhood means that we have to get the most from our environment. Yes. And part of how we get the most from our environment is by having a village so that the baby not only has multiple protectors, but multiple educators. Yes. At the same time. That, that is just so, so fascinating. So tell me, uh, speaking of multiple educators, it sounds to me like one of the educators might possibly be the father. How would you describe fathers in the other 
parts of the mammalian world other than just the human fathers? Well, interestingly enough, the sequel to If My Mom Were a Platypus was going to be If My Dad Were a Dingo. <laughs> okay. And dingoes actually do have some fathering. But it turns out it wouldn't have been that interesting a book because, A, there's not many mammals, there's not many animals of any sort, mammals or non-mammals, in which the father is involved. And B, when there is a father, they have usually one very specific role. Like, they hold the babies in their mouth. I forget, it's the seahorse or one of those does something like that. They have a Um, a small job. Right. They have one specific task. Um, And, you know, I've talked a number of times about the village in nature. But the village is women. Mm. You know, there's one man, if most, the alpha male. So, in the pride of lions, you've got the village, and they work communally, and there's daycare providers and hunters and things are shared but there's one male. Everybody else is female. So humans really stand apart in being a village that has men in it and has fathers involved. And we know that there are many fathers that that take off, but there are ample men who stick around and they actively father and they actively support the mother and they make a profound difference. And Really, I believe that fathers and fathering is one of the things that truly makes the human special um, and stand out from the other mammals. And to that end, I know that you have created uh, a special product. Uh, talk to us about your father. Uh, the I believe it's Breastfeeding Facts for Fathers, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we have a booklet called Breastfeeding Facts for Fathers. It's actually our most popular um, product. Um, and it's nice, it's funny, which is good, but mm-hmm. it really helps fathers understand not only the breastfeeding process, but their role in it, because breastfeeding is a very exclusive relationship. Yes. Mom and baby are together. Nobody else can feed the baby. The baby right. generally wants mom. And one of the, the things that we talk about is this wonderful phrase, I don't know if Ruth Lawrence came up with it. Someone came up with it, but it's um, fathering without feeding. And, ah. and fathering without feeding is part of getting to the fact that there are so many roles that men can play. That yes. They, rather than getting focused on, I'm left out of this exclusive relationship, the things yes. that you can do. And I know that research has found that fathers are particularly instrumental in introducing language to children. Um, language and physical activity and um, and so it's it's just really important to support the men and to support the men supporting the women and the babies and and to keep that village a place where everybody knows that they're valued and everybody knows that the role they play is not minor. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so, so critical. This has been just a wonderful uh, insight into how other mammals uh, take that journey. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that's all the time that we have today. I'd like to thank Dia, and I'd especially like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. And I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week. 
Please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up. And if you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Again, that site is borntobebreastfed.com. My uh, site for professionals is breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto. I've been here today with Dia Michaels. I will be back again. I promise that I will help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.